According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. <clears throat> Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Welcome to January. <clears throat> Matthew 28. Matthew 28 as we get started. <clears throat> we will go for an hour or however long my voice lasts. Starting a new episode today, the Great Commission. I'm going to try to give it a new name because uh, uh, as I look at verses 16 through 20, well, let's read it and then we'll see if we can find a new name. Mark, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And there we have it. Got to take about five minutes and we're done, right? <laughs> There's a very little doctrine there. No, I'm teasing. Now, as we look at this, there are a lot of details in here and a lot of things that are misunderstood, particularly everybody wants to jump on the word go and missionary preachers, you know, they, uh, it looks like it's the imperative, it's not. Uh, the imperative is make disciples, and we'll talk about that. How do I make a disciple? <clears throat> and, uh, and then there's the things that get overlooked, and we'll have to deal with that. Uh, there's the mountain which Jesus had designated and then there's the all that I commanded you. And so everything in this commission goes back to previous instructions, previous commands, previous designations, previous teachings, previous relationships, previous um, everything, including really John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, the upper room and walk to the garden discourse that uh, forms the charter of the church age when it really comes down to it. And so... Um, when, when it says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, meaning the content of the upper room discourse, the upper room and walk to the garden discourse. That is the charter for the body of Christ in the church age. And uh, that has to be understood here or you're not making disciples when it comes right down to it. So we'll talk about that. All right, anyway, we looked at verses 16 through 20 just now. I'm going to open a prayer in a, in a moment, but let me ask you something. Um, where's the word great? in those five verses i don't see great anywhere and then the word commission i don't see the word commission in there anywhere but nevertheless i'm being ornery we call it the great commission okay i'm not going to overturn two thousand years of tradition and church history and custom and practice uh however um maybe we can find a better term for it than uh great commission and uh, you'll probably spot it in the notes as we work our way through. Uh, it's an expression that then I repeat on a number of points that maybe will drive it home for us more so than Great Commission. All right. So let's go to the Father in prayer. Let's ask him to bless our study and let's ask him to uh, impress upon our thinking what needs to be there. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this new year. And we've been off for a couple of weeks, Father, with the holidays and all that. But we're thankful, Father. It's, uh, it's now a new year set before us, and we've resumed this Wednesday morning study. Thank you, Father, that uh, between the, the Great Commission and the Ascension, uh, we have the final two episodes of what we need to look at to bring this series to a conclusion. Ten years ago this week, Father, ten years ago we started this series you have blessed us abundantly over these last 10 years. You've, been, um, you've shown forth your grace time and time again. We look forward to seeing uh, more of that grace pour forth, more of the understanding as we study to show ourselves approved. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. And we will be a little bit flexible this morning. We have a maintenance guy in the building. and uh, Dan may be stepping out to, to deal with that. All right. The Great Commission primarily the text comes from here from matthew chapter 28 
We do have some verses to talk about in Mark 16, although I don't think they're legitimate to the Gospel of Mark. And we do have uh, a parallel message in Luke 24. Now, we've already read the Matthew account, which is the one we're we're most familiar with. It basically says, um, you know, go make disciples. Okay, that's your imperative. But again, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And then the part we all ignore, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Not only as an encouragement and a comfort, but also as a um, reminder exactly who the head of the church is and how active he is throughout the entirety of the church age from rapture to pentecost or from pentecost to rapture he is actively involved in the operations of the church and uh we overlook that sometimes and we want to make that more of an emphasis when we get to that point of our study now uh so we're under a great commission the world tells us to shut up and we say no can't do that the world says you know your faith is your faith but it should be private don't talk to us about it. Keep that at home. Keep that at church. Don't Certainly don't mention it in, in uh, uh, government or don't mention it in public places or anything like that. Um, and we say, well, you know, that's your theory, but uh, my commandment is I have to proclaim Christ. I have to make disciples. I am, I am a, an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven on this fallen earth. And if you tell me to shut up, then I'm not, I'm not obedient to my God. And that's, uh, I think, a commission that we all can submit to when it comes to that. Let's talk about uh, briefly, let's go to Mark 16 on our way to Luke. By the way, some even find uh, a John commission in the sense of as the Father sent me, so send I you. And they kind of include that in this concept that we have been commissioned. That uh, And I don't dispute that. Uh, but we've covered the John passage already in an earlier episode. That's why you don't see it on the screen there. But in Mark 16, remember... The best manuscripts end the chapter and the book after verse 8. And I say the best. Uh, The ones with the least amount of um, scribal emendations, the ones with the least amount of, the ones that we have the maximum certainty on, uh, end the Gospel of Mark at verse 8. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. In later centuries and later on, um, I think after other Gospels were written and so forth, uh, it just seemed like an awkward ending. And, and so different scribes tried to, uh, you know, add different verses to it and then try to harmonize it with Matthew and Luke and John and try to harmonize it with other things. And, and what we really end up having in 9 through 20, <clears throat> and then even some extra verses beyond 20, uh, we've got an assortment of, of traditions, assortment of legends, assortment of stories little snippets of things that were tacked into the different manuscripts at different times and different places. And they're not always in the same order, and they're not always with the same uh, spellings, and and it's just a mess, uh, ultimately, when it comes right down to it. So we can uh, at least read the commission portion of it and realize it's part of that tradition that got appended to the end of the gospel and see it for what it is. Um, Verse 14 says, Afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And this is an agreement. We saw this in, in Luke when the, the uh, disciple, Emmaus Road disciples hurried back to Jerusalem and they found that the disciples were gathered in the upper room. And then uh, <clears throat> they started telling them about what happened on the road to Emmaus. And Peter mentioned that Jesus had appeared to him at his house and and uh, and then Jesus appeared in their midst and scared them to death, and they were afraid, and he rebuked them. So that is true. It's true as far as it goes, and it's recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> also recorded for us in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> all right, anyway, then verse 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It's a great verse. I love the verse. I don't have any problem with the verse. Uh, the only problem is, is that I don't think it's original to Mark's gospel. All right. I have no problem with the imperative uh, to go and preach the gospel. I have no problem with it because it's consistent with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It's consistent with, as the Father sent me, so send I you. It's consistent with verses that are legitimate in our scripture. But I would be hesitant to preach that verse as scripture because, as I said, because of the questionable nature of verses 9 through 20. 
I'm on less solid ground with less manuscript support if I try to preach that alone as an imperative. All right. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. How many problems has that caused? All right. And particularly when we have dozens of other verses that's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The idea that I'm going to add something to faith is a problem. And then the idea that here we have it in a fuzzy manuscript, questionable kind of way. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd rather that just not even be there. So <laughs> anyway, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. I do enjoy the way that we have belief contrasted with disbelief. I think that's appropriate. It's doctrinal. It's biblical. Uh, it's just not original to Mark's gospel. Then these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Again, I'm reading from the end of Mark 16 here. These are the problematic verses. Problematic because they don't appear in the earliest manuscripts. Problematic because when they do start showing up in manuscripts, they start showing up in different order, with different spelling, with different word order, with different... um, issues and all the rest so anyway and then uh, how much trouble does it cause with people that start trying to be snake handlers right and pentecostal snake handlers and all these other groups that say well these are the signs that accompany those who believe i guess i didn't really believe because i never grabbed a snake after i got saved you know anyway so then when the lord jesus had spoken to them he was received up into heaven and sat down on the right hand of god and, uh, of course, again, that's not a problem. It's a tradition. They, uh, the scribes inserted it here at the end of Mark. It's a tradition that's consistent with uh, the Mark, Luke, and John traditions in the book of Acts. They're not really a problem. It's not factually inaccurate. It's just not appropriate for the manuscript of Mark 16. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. And then an additional ending that shows up in a variety of manuscripts. Sometimes these words are after verse 8. Sometimes these words are after um, verse 20. And they promptly reported all these instructions to Peter and his companions. And after that, Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. All right. Well, there it is. That's the problematic ending to the Gospel of Mark. And... uh, you know, when conservative scholarship comes along and tries to remove them, uh, you know, we get accused of taking out parts of the Bible and whatever. And so, well, no, we're not. There it is. If you want to read the verses, there they are. We just think they're on very shaky manuscript ground. And so on that basis, um, we don't think they're original to the inspiration of Scripture, original to the uh, what the Holy Spirit had Mark write when he put quill to parchment and composed the Gospel of Mark. All right, but be that as it may, if you're curious about it, it's printed. We're not hiding anything. There it is. Now, let's go over to Luke. Luke 24. Now, in our Harmony of the Gospels, this is included as a part of episode 12, as a part of the Great Commission. And so I'm going to outline it in this episode, but I'm going to outline it after I outline everything that there is in Matthew 28, and then really consider it as a follow up and consider it as a separate event really Luke 24 verses 44 through 49 and uh, as we see these appearances here in Luke 24 we've got the um, the uh, appearance to the women the appearance to the Emmaus road disciples uh, the appearance to the disciples in the upper room uh, where in verse 36 he himself stood in their midst and said to them peace be to you um and on down, you know, do you have anything here to eat? He showed them his hands and his feet, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them, down through verse 43. Now in verse 44, we have a now, he said to them. And it's not clear whether it's the same day, the same moment, the same hour, the same room, the same guys, the same context. Is it a day later? Is it the next day later? Is it a week later? We don't know. There's nothing in the text that indicates that it's immediate. In fact, it's kind of a glimpse that with the, the now, he said to them that it was something different. I think the connection there in verse 36, while they were telling these things, that links it very tightly. But the, the transition to verse 44 is not tight at all. Now, he said to them. So same day, next day, a week later, there's no indication. 
particularly when we see this uh, episode 36 through 43, Luke only records the one time in that upper room, but John tells us that actually there were two times in that upper room, eight days apart. The first time where Thomas was missing, the second time when Thomas was there. And he showed up again a second time. And, and that's when he eats the fish and does the stuff, says, here, touch me, and, uh, and all the rest. So anyway, the verse 44, I believe, is after that night, that Monday night. All right. I believe it's after the Great Commission. I believe it's after they depart Galilee and return back to Jerusalem. In Matthew 28, they're in Galilee. Matthew 28, they're on a mountain in Galilee. And we know that. We know, we're told that in the text of Matthew 28. We know that because they had gone fishing on the Sea of Galilee. We, we looked at that in John 21. And Jesus uh, walked along the beach and said, do you have any fish? And uh, we had the episode there where they were in Galilee waiting for this appointment. I believe then that Luke 24, 44 through 49 ought to be viewed after the Great Commission uh, episode of episode 12. And so if I was doing my own harmony of the Gospels, I would separate out Luke 24 and I would put this paragraph as the next episode, as event 13. As event 13, I would give it its own title. All right, and I wouldn't lump it in with Matthew 28. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So what we're going to do in this, uh, because I'm not going to renumber event 13, event 13 in your harmony, if you have your harmony handout, is the ascension, and we'll, we'll leave that numbered 13, we'll leave that numbered that way, uh, and we'll just tack these points of study on after we look at all the details in, in Matthew 28. But let's at least for today read through it, 44 through 49, and we said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that uh, all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And I like this. I, I told you these things while I was still with you. Jesus makes a distinction. He says, this resurrection ministry I've got going here, this 40 days between my resurrection and my ascension is not with you. I'm popping in here and there, uh, making some appearances. I, I'm still teaching you some doctrine. But it should not be thought of as my time with you. My time with you ended when uh, you fled. <laughs> my time with you ended at the Garden of Gethsemane. And you all bailed. And I went through my trials and I went to the cross and I went into the grave and I rose again. Uh, all of this, this post-resurrection ministry is something different than when I was with you. And uh, different things there. By the way, I think... In his resurrection glory, he's no longer under kenosis either, as far as laying aside his privileges and being in the humility of, of uh, mortality and being in the humility of his first advent. I think when he came out of the grave, he undid kenosis. He has full glory. He has full deity. He has full privileges and everything. He asked the Father to restore to him that glory that he had before the world was. Anyway, these, things, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Now, he's with them. He's talking to them. He's face to face with them. But he's talking about that time was different than what we've got going on right now. In the resurrection, I'm making these appearances. I'm giving you this teaching. But we're not living together. We're not walking together. We're not eating together. I'm not teaching you on a daily basis. I'm not saying, you know, follow me. We're certainly not out, out in public preaching the gospel. We're not preaching the kingdom. This 40 days of resurrection ministry is different. And as far as we know, not a single unbeliever saw him in the resurrection. Only, only saved individuals saw him. All right, this is a different thing. All right. But he explains to them that all the things which are written about me in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's a great description of our Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms. It's a, it's a, the, the Jews today call their Bible the Tanakh, right? The Torah, the Nevi'im, the, the Kethuvim. The, the law, the writings, and the prophets. And, and a Jewish person today, that's, their, that's what they call their scriptures, is the Tanakh. And Jesus calls it here, uh, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And it's uh, very much in agreement with uh, what we would call the Old Testament. He gives them a comprehensive study on the Old Testament. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. 
And that's very similar to the commission in Matthew 28, which I think is why E.T. Robertson, you know, harmonized it the way he did by lumping these paragraphs together into the one episode. Problem is, though, is that in Matthew 28, we're up on a mountain in Jerusalem, and here he says uh, they're in the city, they're in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So this is a message within the city of Jerusalem. Matthew 28 is a message that he delivers on a mountaintop in Galilee. That's why I separate them out and say they can't be one and the same. All right. And then, of course, as far as Luke 24 goes, what follows then is the ascension uh, from Bethany, from the Mount of Olives. All right. So... A mountain in Galilee, point one, as we get started on the Matthew 28 development, let's go back to Matthew 28. Basically, for these outlines, I'm going to start with the Matthew 28 material, take us through uh, three points of study there with a bunch of subpoints, and then uh, we won't do any points in the Mark material, but I will uh, give you some outline points of study in Luke. All right, back to Matthew 28 then. But, so you look at the Matthew 28 narrative and the purpose that Matthew had in writing his gospel. He, has, uh, he starts this chapter with the resurrection, first day of the week. The women go to the tomb, the tomb is empty. And uh, the stone is rolled away, there's an angel sitting on the stone. Um, the women... He's got instructions for the women. We'll see that in a moment. And uh, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Now, along the way, along the way, Jesus meets them and greeted them. Now, they didn't have an appointment with him. He just popped in and he met them. And as we studied it, uh, I think this was the goad that uh, in between verse 8 and verse 9 there where that fear kind of overwhelmed them and they did not make it all the way to the disciples. Remember that? They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. But at some point they stopped. They did not make it all the way to the disciples. And fear kind of overwhelmed joy and they didn't want to say a word. So Jesus met them and greeted them and told them to stop being afraid. In verse 10, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. That was the word that the angel said in in verse 7. Go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so we have a scheduled appointment. Really, the only scheduled appointment after the crucifixion. The Emmaus Road wasn't scheduled. Appearing to these women wasn't scheduled. The um, uh, upper room popping in, peace be to you, uh, appearances they weren't scheduled appearing to peter at his house wasn't scheduled appearing to the uh to the uh to james and his brothers that wasn't scheduled the 500 at one time now that one i think was scheduled because i think that's the same as the great commission on the mountain and we'll talk about that um what was scheduled what wasn't scheduled walking along the beach hey do you have any fish that wasn't scheduled the breakfast in the morning do you love me more than these that wasn't scheduled those were extra appearances, bonus appearances, right? Popping into the, uh, to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. That wasn't scheduled. But one event was scheduled. And that was after I'm raised, there will be an event on a mountain in Galilee. And you need to be there for it. All right. So uh, this is kind of the flow of how Matthew 28 goes now. Um, the women show up at Sunday morning, early in the morning. The women show up. The tomb is empty. The angel says, go tell the disciples you've got a Galilee appointment. And then they run off, but they stop running. And all along the way, Jesus meets them and says, don't be afraid. Go tell my brethren to leave for Galilee. There they will see me. And it's kind of interesting. I didn't notice this before, but the difference between disciples and brethren um, is noteworthy. Not only are the disciples supposed to meet him there, but even his brethren are to meet him there. Leave for Galilee, they will see me. And we're going to see in the Great Commission, it's disciples and brethren. All right. Um, 
And while they were on their way, some of the guard came to the city and said, uh, the tomb's empty, and they accept the bribe that we fell asleep. You were to say his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. That's verse 13. And if it reaches the governor's ears, we'll win him over and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as had been instructed, and the story was widely spread among the Jews as it is to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had designated. So in the flow of Matthew, when Matthew writes his gospel, he leaves out a whole bunch of stuff. Matthew doesn't talk about the Emmaus Road disciples, the upper room, Thomas being missing, doesn't talk about the disciples that went fishing, doesn't talk about all these things we've been studying. All Matthew records is the empty tomb, the women told the disciples to go to Galilee, the guards made up the lie or accepted the made up lie about the, the stolen body, and the disciples went to the mountain of Galilee. That's just the, the brief synopsis that Matthew's giving here in this chapter. Okay? Anybody have a problem with that? I don't have a problem with that. This is, this is Matthew's purpose. This is what Matthew's teaching. So the, the, the Roman soldiers are making up their lies. The disciples went to Galilee. So the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. Remember, they are the 11. Judas Iscariot has gone out to hang himself. He's dead. And uh, he hanged himself. And so now we have the 11. The Hendeka. Okay, not the Dodeca, the Hendeka. So the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Well, when did he do that? They knew the place. They knew the place. And previously he had stipulated, This is where I'm going to meet you. When they saw him, they worshipped him. We've got a rough translation in verse 17, and, and all of the translations have a hard time with it. Holman doesn't know any better. Uh, and uh, New King James doesn't do any better. None of them do. And it's, it's because of a problem that people have been having ever since uh, Jerome. <laughs> Some were doubtful. Well, who were they? Which ones? Of the eleven. Is it part of the eleven? And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And also were doubtful. Also were uh, questioning. And they came up and spoke to, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, and this is what puts away their doubts, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All right. So outlining the observations we're making here, first of all, a mountain in Galilee is the location for this event. Do we know the mountain? Is the mountain named? No. Does that keep people from speculating and guessing? No. All kinds of guesses. And so I found uh, some different maps. Matthew, by the way, has got a lot of mountains. Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Which mount? It <laughs> doesn't say. Okay, so it's just Matthew chapter 5, went up on a mountain. Okay, Matthew 14, went up on a mountain to pray. Uh, Matthew, uh, there's a bunch of chapters where he goes up on a mountain. Which mount? And uh, Matthew 17, Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. Which mount? Well, the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> okay, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Which mount? The Sermon on the Mount Mount. Okay, uh, the uh, Great Commission, which mount? The Great Commission mount. The only one we really know is the Mount of Olives. That when he ascended, he went out as far as Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And there is where he was ascended. And there is where he's promised to return. Okay, it's not a Galilean mountain, so it's not. Um, ignore that. Okay. Anyway, this is uh, Google Earth. I use this for our Poimenike prayer list. There's all the churches we pray for. Uh, but we also have... Here we go. All the Bible places. And I went ahead for our purposes this morning and uh, deleted all the modern earth stuff so we're not going to have like borders and places and roads and uh, 3d buildings we don't need to know about modern jordan and egypt and all that so let's take off the modern world and just leave it with the biblical world because you know what the planet's still the same and so here's israel here's the the dead sea the river jordan here's the sea of galilee and uh, pretty easy to spot. And um, 
from the port right here, this valley that comes all the way down here, we got this uh, critical valley. Armageddon and all the rest is going to be taking place there. And there's this valley. So basically, north of this line, use my new toy, um, you got the port facilities here, and then this valley that works its way all the way southeast, right through here. Countless Old Testament battles fought through there, New Testament battles, battles throughout history, all fought in this, uh, in this valley here. And uh, this is where Megiddo's located. Well, north of here, this whole region here is called Galilee. If you get up into the hill country here, now you're in Samaria. Okay? So we got Galilee. And uh, some hills there that we wouldn't call wa- uh, mountains in Washington State. But uh, nevertheless, they're called mountains. Likewise, you've got, a, you've got a lake here that we wouldn't call a sea in uh, Washington State or Texas. But anyway, it's called the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Chenereth or the Sea of Tiberias or the Lake of, uh, of uh, Tiberias. And uh, trying to find the, the mountain that it, where it might be, uh, the leading candidate is this one here uh, simply because it's prominent and it stands out, it's kind of like Lonely Mountain. And uh, it stands above a plain, it stands above the valley, and it's really all by itself. All by its lonesome with a good view of different things all around. And, uh, which, let's see here. You can kind of see this way. That just kind of sits. Are you able to see that all right? And all the way around, it's kind of isolated. It's got a view of the uh, of the different regions there. In fact, at least here, you can see all the way to the Mediterranean. You can see all the way over to the uh, Sea of Galilee. There's the Sea of Galilee, much closer. And there's the Mediterranean. Anyway, kind of sits all by itself. And uh, it is the traditional location of the, uh, actually it's kind of popular, Uh, it's a candidate for the Sermon on the Mount, it's a candidate for the Transfiguration, it's a candidate for the, uh, but those have more uh, different traditional locations. This is the traditional location for the, the Great Commission. All right. Enough of that. I can play with that all day. All right. I just like maps. Now, as Jesus had designated, point, sub point A, as they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane, in other words, after the upper room discourse, as they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus instructed the eleven to meet him in Galilee after the resurrection. If you go back to chapter 26, let's back up two chapters. Matthew 26:32. These were instructions they'd been given. Matthew 26, 32. They're in the upper room. Um, he, uh, they're having Passover. He institutes communion. Then uh, he says, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. All right. We like to have a closing hymn at the end of Sunday morning. Um, Then Jesus said to them, so they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now they're on their way. They don't get to Gethsemane until verse 36. But on their way, verse 31, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, Scripture prophesied this. Zechariah 13 says, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. So it's going to happen tonight. Scripture will be fulfilled. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. There's their instructions. They're told to meet him in Galilee. It's the one appointment they have after the resurrection. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Here's his great, I love you more than these moment. Right? These ten 
don't love you as much as I love you, Lord, I will not fall away. Which is why in John 21, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? So boastful to say, I love you more than these guys. All right. Truly I say to you this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And, and then we know what happens for the rest of that. So anyway, this is on, as they walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is, he'd already given them all that doctrine. He'd already given them the, the upper room discourse. The powerful discourse there, which they didn't understand. They're not equipped to understand. That's all church age stuff. That's all stuff they're not going to grasp. Loving one another as I have loved you. Uh, uh, I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, I will come again and receive you to myself. The the rapture information there in John 14. The Holy Spirit is coming who will guide you into all truth. All of that upper room discourse is all, it it will be clear to them in the church. It is not clear to them in the Old Testament. All it did was give them more questions than anything. And so uh, they, they wrap that up. They leave the upper room. They sing a hymn. They're on their way to uh, the Mount of Olives. And that's where he stops in the garden to pray with three of them. And, uh, but on the way, he tells them, after I have been raised, <laughs> okay? Because I'm not going to stay dead. Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross, but after three days, I will rise again. After I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. All right. Now, the verse is not as specific as we would like. The verse doesn't tell us that it's a particular mountain on a particular day. Not necessary for that to be in Scripture. Wouldn't edify us in any way whatsoever. But they did know the day and the time. They did know the location. They knew where to go and when to be there. So, they went to Galilee. And uh, some of them went fishing along the way and Whatever, they knew what day to be on that mountain, and they were there on that day. Point B. After the resurrection, the women at the tomb were instructed to remind the disciples about their Galilean appointment. Because generally speaking, men will forget if women don't remind them. <laughs> That's doctrine, right? It's right there in the... No, I'm teasing But the point is, if you're walking somewhere with a bunch of men, maybe they won't remember. <laughs> so the next morning, Matthew 28, 7, and not just 7, I think we could also add uh, verse 10 as well, but um, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, just like he said back two chapters ago. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And then uh, Jesus in verse 10, again talking to the same women, do not be afraid, go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. So Jesus had told them about the mountain, and then uh, the angel afterwards, and Jesus afterwards told the women to go remind them, about their appointment, their Galilean appointment. Point C. And we've got to talk about this problem verse in verse 17. When they saw him, they were, they wavered. When they saw him, they wavered. Point C. Seeing him, the eleven worshipped him and wavered. Seeing him, the eleven worshipped him and wavered. Now, write it down like that, and then I'll explain why I wrote it like that and what we're saying here. Because I've concluded that it's all eleven that doubted. All eleven that wavered. I don't like the translation doubted, but we'll, we'll go with it for now, because that's what it says, and then we'll change what it says. Uh, <laughs> okay? But it's not, uh, it's not the normal verb we might expect for doubting. Okay? It's a word for second guessing. It's a word for second thoughts. It's a word for a momentary wavering when you consider, wait a minute, is there a plan B here? Okay? And it's not just some of them. It's unfortunate that the, the translators like to, to say, well, it was only some of them that were doubtful. I think it was all 11. 
I think it's the same hoida that we have with the hoida in verse 16. I think it's the same hoida. I think it's the 11. And there's no reason to be afraid of it. And the only reason why you say some of them is because you're afraid of all of them being afraid. All right. And it's not new. It's not limited to modern 20th century English American text. It is, it is, um, it has been the case since, uh, Jerome translated the Vulgate. And it goes back at least that far. Uh, scribes and translators of the New Testament going back to the early church, um, struggled with Mark 28, or Matthew 28, 17. How could they have wavered? How could they have doubted? So we'll talk about it. There's actually a great article in the Word Biblical Commentary. I made a link to it so I wouldn't forget to read it and uh, and share that with you. But grammatically, we have an expression here that applies to, I believe it applies to all 11 of the disciples. In other words, the same group that's introduced in verse 16. The hoide. Hendeka Methetai. The eleven disciples. Proceeded to Galilee. And when they saw him. Well, who is the they saw him? The eleven. The eleven disciples who proceeded to Galilee. Yeah. And then they worshipped him. Who is the they worshipped him? It's the same group as the they saw him. It's the same group as the they proceeded to Galilee. And then, and they doubted, or but they doubted, or but they wavered. I like the verb wavered. They hesitated. There's a good term, hesitated. And you can use hesitated unless you want the double W with worshipped and wavered. Okay? They worshipped and wavered. They went, they worshipped, they wavered. You can keep it all W's that way. <laughs> all right? Not quite as dramatic as I came, I saw, I conquered. All right? But uh, they went, they worshipped, they wavered. What an what a occasion for the Great Commission. <laughs> what an occasion. Particularly since all the skeptics in our modern world, uh, you know, they accuse the disciples of some kind of nefarious plot in inventing Christianity. Um, No. They accepted what was revealed to them and they were faithful in what they were commissioned to go do. So they went, they worshipped, they wavered. Uh, Let's see. What do I want to show next? I want to show, we can show the text. Although... Dan maybe the only Dan and Lewis maybe the only ones here that actually care, but um, still. If the rest of you want to read the Greek, you can, um, and I'll make it big enough where you can see it. How about that? I'm just not seeing my clicker. There we go. Big enough? All right. I have never understood why the oldest people in the room sit in the furthest row back. But it's true in every church on the planet. Doesn't matter. Filipinos, Ukrainians, everywhere I've gone. I'll probably go to Africa and I'm going to see the tribal elders back there in the back row. All right, and to highlight the hoidas, the hoide, um, we've got the, and it is, it's a fun study to study the, the, the definite article, and how the definite article is used as a pronoun, it represents they or them, those guys, but the, and sometimes you've got a noun attached to but the, and sometimes you don't, and then you just take the but the as referring to the the same noun that you had before. So there's your hendekamathetai. There's your 11 disciples. But here's your hoida. And your hoida, I can highlight all the hoidas. And um, you got the hoida in verse 16 and you got another hoida in verse 17 which just got colored with a little... You might not be able to see it because the color shading is too too light, but maybe you do. All right. 
So the 11 disciples, um, per UMI, to go, they went. They went. Eistain Galilean into Galilee. Eista Oras to the mountain. Who, of which, that which, Etexata autois ha Jesus. Tasso, to a point, to a sign, or to order. So they went to a mountain. Which mountain? The mountain which, that which Jesus had ordered previously. Okay, not, not told about in the text, but they knew about it. Jesus told them about it. And so there they are. And Idantes Auton, they saw him. And then Pros Ekkenuson, they worshipped. And so Idantes is the participle. And this is why I'm taking the time to do this, because this passage, if you don't understand your participles and your verbs, you make a great big mess of stuff. And when you get down to the Great Commission, you start thinking that go is the imperative, right? Go, go, go. And we start preaching go, and people get all excited to go and be missionaries. And go, and realize that wherever you go, there you are, okay? So you may not go to Ukraine, but you go home, okay? You go to work, you go to school, you go to the restaurant, you go to the grocery store. The point is, wherever you go, there you are. And the imperative isn't go. The imperative is make disciples. Now, we're going to do that exercise when we get to, to that verse, but we've got to do that exercise here in verse 17 because seeing him is the participle. So it's kind of like as you go, where you go, whenever you go, as they saw him, when they saw him, seeing him, seeing him. That's the, that's the activity that then sparks the actions of worship and wonder or worship and waver. Okay, the actions of proscuneo and uh, distazo. So, and seeing him, they worshipped. Seeing him, they worshipped. I guess you can say they worshipped him, whether you think that pronoun belongs in there again or not. But seeing him, they worshipped, and, or but, hoide adistason, they worshipped him, but they wavered they worshiped him but they wavered and it includes all 11 which i'm thankful for because this verb only shows up twice and the first time it shows up it doesn't include the 12 it only includes peter here it includes them all with distazo dis meaning twice uh double think double double question to think again to double guess we have similar idioms in English. If I second guess something, if I second think, if I double think something, if I second guess something, that means I, I um, you know, I, I uh, started to give an illustration and then I said, no, I better not. <laughs> like just now, okay? I started to say, well, no, let's not do that. That's the activity of distazo, to waver, to have a second thought. And maybe you go through with it, maybe you don't, but at least you stopped a second time to say, am I really doing this? Am I really doing this? Am I ready for this? Because what did these disciples expect? What was it he told them was going to happen? When he said, I'm going to meet you, after I'm raised, I'm going to meet you on a mountain in Galilee. What do they think is happening on this day? Because they're all here. I think his brothers are here. I think the 500 are here. That uh, the disciples, the 11 are here. Were they expecting the Holy Spirit to come on this day? <laughs> Does the church start now? Were they expecting Armageddon on this day? Were they expecting horses and armor and let's go destroy Rome and let's bring in the kingdom on this day? What were they expecting? They didn't know, but they wondered. And what's it like? It's not the first time they worshiped Jesus. We'll go through the, well, you know, you can search for the verb proskuneo and find different times they worshiped him. It's not like this is the first time they ever bowed down and worshiped their God. But it is different. This is the largest crowd ever gathered to bow before Jesus Christ. And it's in his resurrection glory. 
Now, they had a larger crowd when he fed the 5,000, but they weren't all bowing and worshiping on that day. What were they expecting? him? Okay, so there's the verb, uh, and there's the structure. So it says, Kai idantes autan, and seeing him, proskenuson, hoide edistason. They worshiped, but they wavered. And seeing him, they worshiped, but they wavered. That's how I would handle that. Now, I'm going to read from the word biblical commentary here. And I will make that larger also. For your sake and for mine. There we go. For the first time, the disciples are referred to using the poignant term hoi hendika, the eleven, rather than hoi dodica, the twelve. Okay? And you've had those terms before, by the way, because I invented the expression dodecapostolog, the catalog of the twelve apostles is a dodecapostolog, and also the eleven spiritual gifts for the, for the, uh, t- the permanent spiritual gifts for the church age is the hendecological ministry of the church, the eleven spiritual gifts. All right, so dodeca, hendeca, can't forget those. Um, for the 11 in this sense, i.e. the 12 minus Judas, uh, and we understand that. Uh, Note, however, that the 11 includes Peter. The 11 disciples travel up to Galilee as they've been commanded to do, both by Jesus and the angel at the tomb. That was uh, by Jesus the night he was betrayed. He told them personally. And then the angel at the tomb, through the women at the tomb, said, go remind those guys they've got an appointment in Galilee. Okay? Because if your wife doesn't remind you, you're never going to make that doctor's appointment. I don't care who you are. Now, the 11 disciples travel up to Galilee as they've been commanded. Now, the consummation of the story will thus take place where the ministry began in Galilee of the Gentiles. It's kind of a neat um, open and shut case. It's kind of a neat opening and closing, the birth of Jesus. And his childhood was where? It was in Galilee. He wasn't born there, but that's where his childhood was, in Galilee. And... uh, uh, you know, the angel appeared to a virgin in Galilee, and he grew up in Galilee. And this is where the, the commission is going to take place, is in Galilee. But even more specific, Galilee of the Gentiles. When Galilee appears in the Old Testament in Isaiah, it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. And it comes in a prophecy that when the Christ comes, it would be a light to those in darkness. It would be a light to the Gentiles. Now, all through his ministry, he said, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and only rarely would he minister to Gentiles. A Phoenician woman would say, well, can, you know, can a dog have table scraps and things like that? Or a, a, a centurion, Roman centurion would say, I don't have, I'm not worthy to come into my house. Just give the word from here, and chain of command will take care of it. Occasionally, he would have ministry to Gentiles, but mostly the, the first advent ministry of Jesus Christ was to Israel, absolutely to Israel. Until this event, this episode now, what does he do? He's going to give the disciples a Gentile commission. He's specifically going to say, it's going to start in Jerusalem, but it's going to go to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay? And we don't get that in the Matthew record, but we do get that in Luke when we go to Luke 24. But the, the Great Commission is to all Gentiles, all nations. As you go, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And so he doesn't, he doesn't deliver that in Jerusalem. He delivers that in Galilee of the Gentiles. That's what I'm trying to say. He goes to Galilee of the Gentiles to commission them that their disciple-making imperative takes place in uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. All right. Back to word biblical commentary then. So the consummation of the story will thus take place where the ministry began in Galilee of the Gentiles. The light dawns... Um, that overcomes the shadow of death. He even preached that Isaiah message back in Luke chapter 4. Makes possible the mission to the Gentiles. No, no reference has been made earlier in Matthew to a specific mountain in Galilee, but they knew where it was. Um, the, to the mountain which Jesus had summoned them. Traditionally, the mountain has been identified with Tabor. That's the one I showed you on the map. Uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. So that was the same location where he was transfigured before them, the same uh, mountain where um, where uh, he gave them the Great Commission. Traditionally, it's not the mountain where the Sermon on the Mount was delivered. Uh, I recommend you see Donaldson, Jesus on the Mountain. 
I looked for that, but it was several hundred dollars, and I'm not going to spend that on a book. All right. Verse 17. When the disciples saw Jesus, they, like the women earlier, proskuneo, they worshipped him. So the same as the women in verse 9, they worshipped him. This would seem to indicate not only that they recognized Jesus, but that they thus believed that he had risen from the dead. Okay? And in, in the Matthew record, remember, we don't have the upper room and the doubting and the touch my side and all of that. We don't have the, uh, the John 17 story where he didn't look like himself and John said it's the Lord and uh, any of that. All right. We don't have the Emmaus Road story where uh, they walked with him but didn't know who he was. They saw him and they worshipped. So I agree. He looked like himself. They knew who it was when they saw him. They knew who it was when they saw him. If they didn't know who it was, they wouldn't have worshipped. Right? So to me, they saw him, Edontus, beholding him, knowing who he was, they worshipped. And so I agree with that. This would seem to indicate not only that they recognized Jesus, but they thus believed that he had risen from the dead. The reader is accordingly unprepared for the last three words of the verse, but they doubted. Hoide ediston, but they doubted. So beholding him, they worshiped, but they doubted, or but they wavered. And the de could be either an and or a but. Here's a good sense to have it as a but, since uh, worship seems to be contrary to wavering. Two major problems here must be addressed. First, to what exactly does the definite article hoi refer? Second, what is the nuance of a distant they doubted? So we've got to answer, well, first of all, who is the they? Is the they only some of them? Some of them doubted? Okay. And are they trying to make this match up with the Luke account or the John account? Are they trying to somehow throw a hint back to doubting Thomas? Uh, who in the upper room said, unless I see him, I won't believe, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, it's how commentators usually address it, but it doesn't fit. Because the word adistin is not, the, the verb here, distazo, is not the verb that Tom, applied to Thomas. It's not the verb that applied to, oh, you of little faith. Okay. Now, uh, grammatical considerations alone cannot answer the first question, even without the corresponding hoi men to go with hoi de. Uh, the latter words can have a partitive sense, meaning some of the eleven. So sometimes you have on the one hand these guys, and then on the other hand those guys. That's fairly common in the, in the men de construction. These guys on the one hand, on the other hand those guys. So these guys worshipped, but some of them doubted. You could take it that way, but we don't have a, a hoi men in this passage. Even without the Hui Men, you could still view it that way, but not necessarily. On the other hand, Hui De can simply be taken as a pronoun, meaning they. Hui De can just simply mean they, like it means all these other places Hui De shows up. All the eleven. And he references uh, the discussion on Hui or Ha in the, uh, in the Bideg lexicon. An examination of all the hoide constructions in Matthew seems mainly to support the latter usage. In other words, Matthew isn't big about using the on the one hand these guys, on the other hand those guys uh, approach. When Matthew uses hoide, it's basically just they. And examples uh, all listed there in those verses. 2, 5, 4, 20, 4, 22, 14, 17, 14, 33. I won't take the time to walk you through it all today because it's 10.59 I'm out of time. But in my study, we look at all these verses. All right. Anyway, goodness, I am out of time. Where does the time go? Okay, when we come back, if we come back, at the root of the problem, for those who have trouble accepting that all 11 disciples were involved in the meaning of the word adistin, usually translated, they doubted. The question is whether doubt in the sense of unbelief is compatible with the worship referred to in the first clause. If they were not believing, they could not have been worshiping. How do you worship apart from faith? Okay, if they were unbelieving. But is it possible that they could believe and still waver and still have a second thought or a second guess without believing, I mean, without doubting, without not believing, but they still need help in believing. In other words, Lord, I do believe, help my unbelief. 
Okay? Or where you do believe, but there's still a part of you that's wondering, how's this going to work? Okay? So next week we'll come back and we'll understand Edistan. We'll understand the verb distazo, the aorist of Edistason that corresponds with their worship and their doubting, the worship and their wavering. Okay? And then hopefully it'll be edifying for us all, I think, uh, because I'll just speak for myself now, but, um, you know, you got to wonder. There's sometimes if you stop and think about that again, and is that right or is that wrong? Okay, now, you have to stop and, and at least to do a, a gut check to say, am I doing this on a faith basis? Because whatever is not a faith is sin. If I'm doubting, I it's not faith. I want to proceed on a faith basis. So if nothing else, stopping and making that second guess or that second not guess but that second consideration where i can just double check make sure this is faith make sure i'm not going forward on a doubting basis there's a lesson in that and it it goes well i'm I'm thankful we hit this chapter at the same time we hit uh, romans 14 you know lucky for us that it worked out that way starting this study 10 years ago and starting the roman study three years ago wow that worked out great didn't it Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Father, for the blessings we have in the Scriptures to study what happened, to learn from it, and then to live our lives under the convictions of how your Word indicates for each one of us. Thank you, Father, for the example of the disciples. Uh, Thank you for the encouragement they provide that you didn't uh, call perfect people to be your servants. You called a bunch of knuckleheads, Father, that that uh, weren't sure what they were doing or how or why. Sometimes they uh, they had a lot of pride, and Father, you uh, you beat that down. I thank you for it. Uh, sometimes they uh, needed picking up, and you picked them up, and I thank you for it. So, Father, uh, bless us in this continued study. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>